0: Welcome back to Behind the Play. My name is Alex Adams, and I am super excited to be joined by Katie Strang, senior investigative writer for The Athletic. Thanks so much, Katie, for for taking the time and coming on. Uh, how's it going? How's your summer?
1: Uh, it's been good. It's been chaotic. I have two little kids, and so they keep us on our toes. But it's been <laughs> uh, busy in a in the most ideal way. So no complaints.
0: Well, why has it been the busy in the most ideal way?
1: Um, the kids are I'm like basically just like a professional chauffeur, like shuttling my kids to like various different like sports camps and activities. And so we're not we're always on the move, but they're happy <laughs> and healthy. And so that's great. I'm happy.
0: Awesome. And I want to move from that as best as I can to a bit about your career, Katie. And we always ask a bit about journalists um, careers on the show, but obviously you have a different path than, than most in terms of being an investigative reporter, especially in the sports world. Just tell us a bit about when you thought you, when you first thought you might want to pursue a career in journalism, especially in, in kind of the game of hockey and in sports as well.
1: Sure. Yeah. I mean, that started pretty early. I like did this one day job shadow with the editor of, um, the sports section of my local newspaper when I was in sixth grade oh, wow. and really fell in love with it. And so always wanted to do some sort of journalism, definitely was interested in sports journalism. Um, I came into the investigative elements of journalism in a bit of a circuitous fashion, I would say. Um, I started my career at Newsday and so I was doing a lot of general assignment work and um you know, covering various different sports, different teams. I eventually started covering hockey for them. Um, later went to ESPN, covered hockey and baseball there, and then started at the athletic about six years ago. And, and with that, yeah, I mean that, that was really like the first real chance I got to do investigative work. And that was part of why I went to the athletic is I really wanted to do investigative work, um, at ESPN at the time I was doing a lot of um like hard news breaking news reporting and anytime like there would be any sports story that featured the intersection of sports and the law or sports and law enforcement um i really liked doing that um but espn just has like such a deep bench when it comes to really great investigative reporters Mm -hmm. i knew i didn't have the requisite experience um to be able to crack that lineup. So, I mean, that was one of the really appealing things about the athletic cause it was young, it was an upstart. There was a lot of space to kind of carve out your own niche. So it, it wasn't really until I went there in um, the first real like foray I had into investigative journalism was covering the Larry Nassar case for us.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. And for you just to backtrack a little bit, what, what were you drawn to in terms of becoming an investigative reporter? Like what was the kind of in, in, enticement for you?
1: Yeah, I liked it because I think it was, it requires, um, it, I think it requires some hustle and requires some creativity. Like it's not, you know, when you, when you cover a game, like you more or less know what to expect and who to talk to and what the processes and protocols are like. And I feel like investigative journalism is a much more inexact science Um and it requires, you know, What I would say is a bit more like, you know, dogged journalism and and maybe unconventional techniques to track people down or knock on people's doors or, you know, to really like make robust records requests that can yield something substantive. So to me, I think I liked it because it felt very both like challenging and stimulating and also I think a big element for that for me was it also felt like very purpose driven work. Mm. You know, I mean, I covered baseball for a couple of years and like disclaimer, I don't really like baseball and I didn't love covering <laughs> it. I wasn't a very good <laughs> baseball writer, I can tell you that right now. Okay. <laughs> you could read I mean like you could read my copy and probably be able to intuit that I did not love covering baseball. Um mm. but you know, baseball was like super formulaic for me. It was very rote, like it was felt like the same thing every day, it was a ton of travel, it was difficult work life balance. Um, And I just did not feel like my heart was in like Mm a Tuesday game against, you know, the Milwaukee Brewers. So I think once I started tackling subject matter, that was sort of more both challenging, but intriguing to me. That made me feel better about the quality of my work. And I think it made me a better reporter um, because I was so like emotionally invested in doing Mm -hmm. it well.
0: And and with that, what are some of the stories? I mean, all of them are. A lot of the stories you put out are so heart wrenching and purposeful and and meaningful. But what what are some of the stories that really kind of hit home with you that you find you're very proud of, or, or really kind of mean means a lot to you to share that story?
1: Yeah, I mean, one of the like, I mean, the Nasser the, certainly the Nasser case was like really made um, a lasting impact on me both. You know, I learned a lot, I think, about how universities and institutions respond um, when they're under scrutiny and under duress and how they sort of reflexively revert to institutional protectionism. Mm. Um, I also feel like I learned some like more uplifting things from reporting that case, which is like the power and autonomy that um, people have in, in certainly athletes having a more agency now than they did even five years ago Mm -hmm. Um, and that there's a you know a great sort of power and sense of catharsis sometimes in solidarity that people can siphon um you know when when people collectively come together and speak up
0: Mm -hmm. and and with that like with with all the stories that you've written on like what do you think you've mentioned alluded to like the doggedness, but how do you find sources? How do you interact with the sources? How do you get them to corroborate information? Like how, give us maybe a little bit of an insight, maybe not on a specific story, but maybe how your process is into kind of digging deep into stories.
1: Sure. Yeah. Um, It's a lot of cold calling on my end. Like I, (laughs) I make a lot of cold calls every day. Um, And, you know, like I, I always feel like if I get someone on the phone, I have a chance it's much harder, I think, for people to like ignore you when you just like text them, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a lot of cold calls. I think, you know, almost exclusively, the stories that I work on now come from tips. So generally, like the person that tips me off will do so, you know, because they're motivated to, you know, see this story be told. but they also have generally, you know, a lot of background knowledge about sort of the lay of the land and the internal dynamics, um, of a situation. And so I think like being able to pinpoint someone that can kind of hold your hand and help you parachute into like foreign territory and understand, um, you know, all the different nuances that helps guide your reporting. I mean, that's really important. I think being able to pinpoint who that person is going to be for you and developing a level of like trust, Mm -hmm. um, with that person is huge. And I, you know, with every investigation, I try to sort of approach it like a, a bullseye with, with like, mm. you know, the principal characters um, in the very middle. And then I work sort of from the periphery all the way in.
0: Oh, wow. So, okay. I mean,
1: it can, you mm-hmm. know, some of these, like some of these projects take months, you know, and like, if I'm going to call if I'm going to talk to like 50 plus people that might take a couple months. Um, You know, there have been some stories that I've talked to a couple hundred people for there are some people that I've only talked to like a dozen for, Um, you know, there are some stories that have taken a couple of weeks. There are some stories that I've worked on for years and have never gotten across the finish line, Um, but I'm still very invested in doing so. So there's no like real rhyme or reason. It's like I said, in in exact science and um, you'd like to think that you always like, the the labor investment always like pays off in seeing a story um come to fruition and it doesn't and that's that's mm-hmm. one frustrating thing about investigative journalism um there's a lot of failure involved
0: <laughs> and w- so i guess just with that like i'm just curious like what does that feel like to to have a story come out and then is there kind of this is that something you kind of learned over time to not maybe get so emotionally involved when you the story drops that it's like the fit that complete almost in terms of
1: No, I used to I used to think that actually I used to actually felt like feel like some maybe an hour or two of euphoria of like birthing a big project and like having it be out into the universe. Um and I used to like enjoy that like cuz it would feel like the one time I could kind of just like let down and like relax. Mm-hmm. Um that happens less now because I think now I'm so sort of recalibrated to be thinking as soon as this story drops, like what is going to be my follow-up story? What, like what Um, tips will this story generate? How can I build on this story to like, you know, really take readers through like a more enhanced understanding of this topic? Cause that's what big stories generally do. They generally do yield additional, you know, either tips about the topic that you've recently written about or adjacent topics that, you know you cover in sort of the context of investigative reporting
0: how important is it for you to kind of have those additional tips to in your mind maybe complete the story to like a an nth degree
1: um really important I always like you know when we write a story and we hear from someone who we didn't like interview or talk to for a story and they say yeah. like hey <clears throat> you
0: know,
1: I just want to let you know that you really like nailed the atmosphere of like what working at this place <clears throat> is like," or what the culture of this team is like, or what this, you know, person who might be abusive, like what their conduct is like. Mm -hmm. I think that's always like a very affirming thing to hear when you know that you put in the time and work, um, to really like sort of capture, you know, the true makeup of a, of a situation, a dynamic, an institution. Um, so those are really good. And it's just, um, I'm, I'm not a great like idea generation person, Um. So I think it was always my goal. When I think when I first started doing investigative journalism, to be writing about topics enough that it would, you know, yield enough tips to keep me Mm. busy. I I it's kind of like a be careful what you wish for because you know I often now have to like. Um. There are some tips I just like can't even take on. Um. Mm -hmm. Because I'm pretty busy and and inundated with tips but um it's been wonderful to have people reach out and be willing to help and to share their story or to guide me to a story that they think is important for the public to know
0: and and what's it like because i find it interesting at the athletic like you guys do collabs in terms of reporting i was ta- talking to you before the show but i've had dan robson and ian Mendez, and you guys worked on great pieces on eugene melnick and, and hockey canada with the sexual assault allegations just what's it like to be in a dynamic where you're investigating with different reporters in different countries and and what, how does that affect access? Just maybe give us a little bit of an insight into how that whole dynamic is.
1: Yeah, it's wonderful. Actually. I mean, that's been one of the (laughs) like true (laughs) joys of working at the athletic is I've gotten to do so many like collaborative projects um, (laughs) with really talented people and people that I really like. And that just, you know, it's pretty isolating to like, write critically and comprehensively about difficult subject matter. And it can be nerve wracking and intimidating in to some degree. Um, So I think when you're doing it as a team, you're building in some natural like checks and balances. Like when you're not sure on something, your gut's telling you like, I want to maybe get another source on this, or I don't know if I'm like, really articulating this in the way that truly captures it it's nice to have people to like bounce stuff of off of um and then also i always like find it a learning experience because i'm Mm. i'm you know i'm Mm. i'm reporting on you know a, a story with some with people that have like different skill sets and strengths than me so like you know just using the ian and dan as an example like Dan is like a a, just a truly like masterful beautiful poignant writer Mm -hmm. um and I'm not (laughs) um so it's but it's you know like there it's funny um people you know when you're actually like reporting next to someone you sort of see how they approach interviews and approach people and like you know doing that with Dan made me realize like why people open up to him in the way that they Mm do and Certainly learning about like reporting with your senses, which he he's really good about doing and he's really good about describing time and place um, and putting people at ease. And then for Ian, like that was a really cool thing to see how he kind of juggled, um, you know, he's been like reporting on an organization for a very long time. Mm. So I think it was, you know, I've covered beats, but only for like, you know, mm. a couple of years at a time. So to see, like, the depth of the relationships and sources that he cultivated and, like, tended to over time and just, like, the implicit trust that he, you know, gained with people, I think was really neat to see. And he did some really, mm. you know, it, it was, when we were reporting the Melnick story, like, you know, Dan and I were in the background doing a bunch of reporting, but, you know, Ian was showing up to the rink every day and having yeah. to do, like, quite a bit of pushback. And so you know, that's an incredible like trait to have in a teammate, someone that's willing to sort of like take it on the chin, um, and, and still keep moving forward. So that was, I mean, I I love those two guys dearly. Um, they're wonderful, wonderful teammates and reporting partners. And I think that's, I'm really proud of the work that we did. And a big part of that is because I enjoyed the collaborative effort of that so much.
0: And, and with that, I want to go a little bit to the Katie Stone story that you had, because I thought it was so interesting. And if people don't know, it's uh, like the coach at Harvard for decades, and there clearly was a culture of hazing and, and there was some racism and just not it didn't seem like a great climate. But for you, do you think how much do you think of that culture is just a byproduct of the game of hockey? And what was that like writing kind of about like toxic culture in in women's hockey and how much are you? should we maybe be worried about uh, toxic culture in the game in women's hockey, not just men's hockey?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's definitely pervasive in both men's and women's hockey for sure. Um, You know, I, if I have like a specialty, it's probably that, you know, I focus a lot of my reporting on sexual abuse and sexual misconduct. Like that's kind of Mm -hmm. my wheelhouse. Um, And so, you know, I'm certainly not like, I wouldn't say I'm, I wouldn't say I'm inured to it, but like, I, I am not, um, you know, I'm pretty used to like dealing with some pretty significant and gnarly trauma. Um, and I was really blown away at like the scope and the sprawl of the trauma, like that Haley and I encountered Mm. when we were reporting that. Um, and it was much more like, it was almost in some ways it was, I think it was, it took on a very like corrosive quality for people because, you know, it was more like psychological and emotional yeah. trauma that was harder to like pinpoint to some degree um, for people. And also because, you know, it happened among, you know, between and amongst teammates, um, you know, an authority figure that I feel like people didn't necessarily expect to behave in that way. um, And again, you know, having... Haley to work with Haley does terrific coverage um, on women's hockey is just a star and a good friend of mine. Um, That was really wonderful for us to like, I mean, we would like team interview people like the two of us. And I think we could sort of naturally sense when we would start talking to someone like who, who would develop a, maybe a better rapport, who would take the lead. And there, we got to a point where it felt very natural of like, who would handle what, how we would like sort of approach it. And like, you know, we, we went to Boston to like report that story. And I think that made a difference to like, you know, really being able to like set the scene time and place and be together while we were doing some of our reporting. I think that really helps the process.
0: I'm just curious. What do you think you picked up upon with kind of sources or people that you were talking about where one would be more for Hale? Like, I'm just curious. What, what do you mean by that?
1: Uh, Well, Haley's a lot younger than me. So (laughs) I mean, some of it is like probably a bit more generational. Some of it was like, you know, people that whoever you're the sort of the first one to build a relationship with, you kind of take the lead on. But like, you know, we, we both have different personalities too. So I think you can just kind of gauge like which person is vibing better with Mm -hmm. the person and just kind of like subtly take the lead from there. Um, But I think... Yeah, I mean, when you have a like really strong connection with your fellow reporter, I think you can do that pretty organically and you know, Haley and I have worked on other stuff before. We've known each other for a long time. We've been friends for a long time, so that was a pretty seamless process.
0: And and for you as as someone that's an investigative reporter in the game of hockey, like what do you think about maybe what the onus should maybe be on on just General journalists or beat reporters when it comes to matters of abuse and, and storytelling in terms of those kind of issues that, you know, sometimes it's like, well, it's not on the ice, so I shouldn't be kind of writing about it. Like, what onus do journalists have in like the Hockey Canada, Katie Stone, like Daryl Sutler, stuff like that that isn't just uh um on the ice performances?
1: Well, I think when people choose to compartmentalize serious subject matter and sort of like delineate that from the on ice product I think they're failing to realize that all those things do impact the on ice product actually I to me that's like a very tertiary concern um but you know when people are not being treated right or treated well or they're dealing with trauma like that manifests in a lot of different ways including their performance um you know and so I think for people to optimize their performance, they have to feel valued, they have to feel safe, they have to feel supported. Um and so I think to, you know, sort of issue that type of reporting just because it doesn't fit into a nice tiny little box, um, is leaving a lot of the story untold.
0: Mm-hmm. And is that something to go to one of your your pieces with Julian McKenzie, who I, I, I've met up and he's great, but just about Daryl Sutter. Like, is that something where you find when you're investigating more kind of coaches and 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 and, and how they maybe create a c- kind of corrosive environment that does affect the on ice product? Like, is that something maybe you saw in, in the Daryl Sutter piece and maybe other pieces that you've written on?
1: Yeah, I mean, that one was a little bit different. It was a little bit more straightforward, honestly. Okay. Because, you know, the season went off the rails. Let's do... <clears throat> some sort of dissection of how and why it went off the rails and you know I got brought into that project because it had a slightly sensitive element like kind of within um the season's dynamics um and so you know we like really tried to simplify it as much as possible which is like almost take it chronologically and like treat it sort of forensically of how Mm -hmm. to really like scrupulously dissect what went wrong how this like team that had pretty lofty expectations and a lot of talent really underperformed and seemed miserable and so i think going in with a like a very clear game plan and also like a really clear timeline like i mean julian was great in the sense of like he could pinpoint inflection points of the season and explain the greater context haley has like you know a lot of experience covering that team as well so she had relationships she had contact, she had understanding I knew nothing like okay. I was coming into that pretty blind okay um, so I was more like back-end support of how to like build the scaffolding of like mm. you know an investigative adjacent story it wasn't truly an investigative story but just like how to tell a more like nuanced dissection of a, of a season that went amiss
0: and and with that just with you and Haley and other women and and The hockey industry like what's it like for you personally to be in a male-dominated industry as a woman and and maybe what advice would you give to to young women coming up in either either the hockey industry uh, hockey media industry or other sports uh, media industries
1: yeah I mean I think I used to say like it didn't really like register for me like being a woman in a Mm -hmm. like male dominated field like now that I'm older I think I realized that I probably just like um put up with a lot of shit that I probably shouldn't Mm -hmm. have when I was younger um and just kind of treated it as like the cost of admission I'm much less willing to do that now and I think most people are much less willing to like give me that type of shit now given the type of subject matter that I generally cover um But I would say like one area where I was really, really lucky is I started in New York and um, in New York, like there were a lot of women um, Mm -hmm. journalists with like prestigious beats and who were kicking ass. And so I and who were, you know, some of whom were juggling families. So like I saw what, you know, I saw kind of the blueprint from a very young age of like people who were doing it and doing it well. Um, And all those people that I saw were also tremendously, um, welcoming and helpful to me. Like there was no territorialism. There was no pettiness. <clears throat> um, there was just like welcoming and open arms. Um, and so what I would tell like younger women, and I do tell younger women is like, seek out other, both women and men in this business, like that you trust whose work you, you admire and just like make make inroads and and develop relationships with them because those are the people that you're gonna need when um stuff goes sideways and it will. Um I always try to like reach out to like younger women journalists to, to let them know like if there's ever a situation they need to talk through, if they ever need help that they can come to me. Cause like, you know, I always tell them like there's nothing I promise you there's nothing you could tell me that would surprise me or I haven't been through or seen or witnessed mm-hmm. in the past.
0: hmm um I want to kind of before I let you go I just want to go to a quick NHL question and I'm sure you don't want to be Gary Bettman but if you were the NHL commissioner for one day is there a rule that you what what rule would you change in, in the game of hockey or it can be elsewhere it can be broader than that if if you have something in mind
1: oh wow that's <clears throat> that's interesting wow you really stumped me with that one that's okay <laughs> i mean i might change the playoff format okay like a you know i love playing games like whenever people do that i understand that it like de-emphasizes the regular season but um something like that i mean i think codifying a uh, sexual assault in domestic violence policy um, might be a smart idea um i can't think of any like great rule changes i'm not like I don't care, like the shootout. I'm not so much of a purist that the shootout bothers me or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I certainly, I would say, like I wish there was more stringent discipline in terms of hits to the head, because I think that is mm-hmm. going to have a very deleterious um, impact on players for years to come. And I care about player well being and safety, but I'm I'm probably not the best commissioner for a day, <laughs> as you can um... see.
0: That's okay. I I do have one follow up question kind of about um, the Hockey Canada, because there is rumors that um, there will be kind of a report coming from hockey, uh, not from Hockey Canada, from the NHL with regards to the what happened in London and the sexual assault allegations. What do you expect from the NHL? Is there anything, you know, and and what do you think the what should be the kind of ramifications or potential penalties for um, the potential players?
1: It's really impossible for me to speculate about that. Mm-hmm. The only thing I would think I would feel comfortable speculating about is that I think it'll come in the next like six weeks. Okay. <clears throat> I think it'll happen before training camps start for next season. Um, but I can't be positive about that. Um, you know, I I think you have a couple different prongs of um. You have a couple different situations, which is there's an ongoing criminal investigation. Yeah. <clears throat> which takes precedent, I think, over like, you know, both the Hockey Canada and the NHL investigation. I don't know whether there's any level of coordination, uh, you know, amongst Hockey Canada, the London Police Service, the NHL. Um, so it's it's hard to tell exactly what the sequencing will look like, whether there will be charges, if there are not charges, whether there will be supplementary discipline. Um, so unfortunately, like most other people, I'm I'm okay. just sort of waiting. No, to I, see.
0: I I just thought I had to ask. Just you know,
1: sure. Yeah, no, you right. should.
0: Yeah. Um. Well, thanks so much, Katie, for for taking the time and doing this. I just want to give you the floor. Is there anything at the athletic that you want to plug or anything that you think uh, we should kind of keep our eyes and ears open for that's coming up soon?
1: I mean, if anyone has tips. you can always email me
0: okay okay i'll i'll do my best i'm not i'm not plugged in as much as uh, many other people but uh if i ever have tips i'll definitely uh, come to you katie well thanks so much for for coming on and have a great rest of your summer i really appreciate it and uh you're just an amazing writer and and journalist so i really appreciate you uh, taking the time and coming on
1: of course thanks for having me
0: if you enjoyed that please like subscribe follow anywhere everywhere to behind the play it means a lot we're trying to build this uh this podcast into something we have a lot of cool guests coming up so thanks so much for your support and uh stay tuned uh, uh i will be going to uh indonesia in august so um i might have mostly uh canada basketball stuff uh, coming up but uh stay tuned and thanks so much for listening and uh take care